Well, good morning. Good morning. Those of you who are tuning in live, we're grateful that you're watching with us as well. Uh, I know we have some people from our church that watch every Sunday, and some of you are watching from other states, and we hear from you, and maybe some of you are even watching from another part of the world. So thank you for tuning in to Mount Airy Baptist Church here in Easley, South Carolina. Uh, today we're going to start a brand new series. Before I tell you what the series is, I want to tell you about a little research uh, that I found out about. According to a study done by the Scientific American, most people speak about 16,000 words a day. Did you know that? 16,000 words a day. Now some of you are thinking, well, what about the women though? How many do they? <laughs> well, actually, according to this study, According to this study, men and women speak about the same amount of words per day. That, you know, the old fallacy is that women speak twice as much as men and that kind of thing. And maybe you'll say, well, in my family, that's the way it is, but I don't. But in general, they said that people speak about 16,000 words a day. Uh, and the way, it's interesting how they figured this out. They had a group of people test subjects who wore recording devices for several days, actually recorded everything that they said and counted every word that they spoke. And so they found out it's interesting, uh, on the spectrum, the low end of the spectrum, as you might expect, was a man who averaged 500 words a day. So, some of you think, I'm married to that guy, I know. And then on the other end of the spectrum, 500 words a day, the other end of the spectrum was not a woman, the other end of the spectrum was another man who averaged over 47,000 words a day. I think I've met that guy before, I think I've talked to him a time or two. Uh, that's amazing. But in general, on average, men and women speak about 16,000 words a day. We can talk about sports with those 16,000 words and weather and fishing and clothes and TV and politics and COVID and the economy and all kinds of things. Using those 16,000 words, we can talk to strangers in, in a line at a grocery store. We can talk to our best friend on the telephone. We can talk to our, our loved ones, our, our family members around a dinner table. We spend a lot of time talking nearly every day. In fact, the average person has 27 conversations per day. 27 conversations per day. Now, I'm not talking about those who have the gift of gab. I'm talking about those just an average person has on average 27 conversations every day. So here's the question. When was the last time in those... 16,000 words, or when was the last time in those 27 conversations that you have each day that you interjected Jesus into that conversation? I don't say that to make you feel guilty, or I don't say that to make you feel bad. I hope it's one of those, hmm, kind of moments. If I'm speaking 16,000 words a day, do I ever say the word Jesus? If I have 27 conversations every day, do I ever have a conversation that's more of a spiritual conversation rather than about sports or, or hunting or something like that. Oh, maybe I can say it to you this way. When was the last time an everyday conversation became a gospel conversation? So, with that in mind, we're starting a new series during the month of January called Conversations. And one of the reasons for this series is because I think sharing the gospel has lost its simplicity. Sharing the gospel has lost its simplicity. I think too often we think in terms of presentation rather than conversation. And so because we think in terms of presentation, we break out in hives, our palms sweat, our tongues get tied. We find ourselves talking ourselves out of having that conversation. We find ourselves talking about everything except 
the gospel. So I want to challenge you today, and through this series, I have a challenge for you in 2022. And it may be different from what you're anticipating I'm going to say, so listen carefully. You're going to talk to a lot of people this year. You're going to have a lot of conversations with family and friends and co-workers and neighbors. My challenge is simply this. I want you to decide that this is going to be the year that some of those conversations will be conversations that matter. Decide this will be the year that you'll have some conversations that matter. Uh, Some of you have tried that, haven't you? Some of you have tried to have a conversation that mattered. You tried it over Christmas or you tried it at Thanksgiving. You tried to have a conversation with someone who matters to you. And so you tried as best you could to have an everyday conversation and turn it into a gospel conversation. Maybe you've got an adult child and they're not living for the Lord and they seem to have rejected the faith and they, don't, they want nothing to do with Jesus. And you tried to have that conversation. But it just didn't go very well. Or maybe some of you have your one. That one person you're praying for, that one person you hope to share Jesus with, that one person that you're looking for the opportunity to have that special conversation with. But every time you try to steer the conversation towards Jesus, they shut you down. Or some of you perhaps have a friend and, you know, they're a good person. They're a moral person and you've tried to explain to them about Jesus and all of that, but they just don't seem... to understand the need for Jesus because they're living a good life as it is. And you've tried to convince them otherwise, but it just hasn't gone very well. Maybe some of you have shared Christ repeatedly with a friend or a family member and the only thing they will say is, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it, Mom. I don't want to talk about it, Dad. I don't want to talk about it, Son. One of our church members told me just this week that he was trying to have a conversation. He called me and we we were just talking and he he said, I tried to have a conversation with my one. That I've prayed and prayed and prayed for that man. And I've tried to have a conversation with him this week about the Lord. And he said, the man made it very clear he didn't want to talk about politics or religion. Then my friend said to me, as he's explaining this, my friend said to me, Preacher, that's just hard to accept. And he's right. It is hard to accept, isn't it? It's hard to accept because we know how their lives could change if they just turned to the Lord. It's hard to accept because we know how much God loves them, right? It's hard to accept because we know that heaven and hell are real. It's hard to accept because we care deeply about them. It is hard to accept. And that's why you and I need today to talk about the conversation you can't win. Conversation you can't win. be honest with you, I, I really didn't want to preach this message today. It's heavy on my heart. Talking about the conversation you can't win. And I want to start with a lesson that I hope we'll learn today. And just bear with me. It's going to sound negative at first, but here's the lesson I want you to get. Regardless of how hard you try, you can't save anyone. 
Now, I know you want to. I know you desperately want to. And you probably have shed tears over that person that you love so much. And they don't love Jesus. And you want desperately to explain to them and to convince them and to talk them into trusting Christ. And this statement might sound negative, but but really what I want to do is just kind of take a burden off your shoulders. I really hope that today we'll kind of take a burden off of your shoulders. Because I want to convince you today that trying to convince someone to put their faith in Christ is a conversation you can't win. There is only one Savior, and it's not you, and it's not me. You see, when someone does put their faith in Christ, it is never the work of man, it is always the work of God. You can't convince somebody that they need to be saved, nor can I. Listen, I've got three earned degrees. Religion is my life. It's been my life for my entire life. But I can't convince anybody that they need to be saved. Moms and dads, you can't nag somebody into heaven either. You're not going to be able to nag your son or daughter into heaven. You can't even get them into church. You're not going to be able to get them into heaven. You can't debate somebody into relationship with Jesus. They might not understand your faith, they may not believe your faith, but but you can't debate somebody into a relationship with Jesus. That's the conversation you can't win. Regardless of how hard you try, you can't save anyone. No matter how much you love them. No matter how desperately you want them to make that decision. But there's a positive side to this positive side to this, an encouraging part of this is, regardless of who they are, God can save anyone. Regardless of who, regardless of how far they've gone away from the Lord, regardless of how hard their heart might be, regardless of what they may have gotten into, regardless of how many times they've told you no, regardless of who they are, God can save anyone. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want you to understand that the conversation that you can't win is a conversation that God can win. I mean, have you ever read through the New Testament and made a list of the people least likely to be saved? It's an interesting study if you read through the New Testament. Just those people, it's like, well, we would never expect this guy to trust Christ and I've got four people for you. Of course, the Apostle Paul heads the list. If you look at this list on the screen, Paul, of course, would head that list. He, you know his story, persecuted the church, killed Christians in an attempt to stop the spread of the gospel. He certainly would be at the top of our list of people least likely to be saved. Also, how about the man possessed by demons in Mark chapter 5? Absolutely out of his mind with demon possession. He certainly would be at the top of our list of people we would not expect to be saved. Or how about this one? The woman caught in adultery, living a life of sin, caught up in this sin. We certainly would say that she's probably not ready. She probably would not come to faith in Christ. Or the thief on the cross, gone too far, done too much, waited too late. All those kind of thoughts would come into our mind. You and I would never, listen to me church, we would never be able to convince any of these people to put their faith in Christ. That would be a conversation we could not win. 
You sit down with the Apostle Paul and before he came to Christ. And you, you, you try to sit down with the Apostle Paul and explain to him who Jesus is and why he needs Jesus. And He's trying to kill Christians who believe that. That's a conversation you're not going to win. So, here's the question. How did these people get saved? These people who are least likely to be saved, how did they come to saving faith in Christ? Well, finally, we're going to get to the Scripture. And we're going to use it a lot today. So I want you to take your Bibles and go to John chapter 16. That'll be our starting point. John chapter 16. Bringing someone to saving faith is a conversation you can't win, but it is a conversation God can win because God works through His Holy Spirit to bring someone to saving faith. That's what we're going to see in the text today. The Holy Spirit, by the way, does many things in our salvation process. In fact, if we were to do a study right now of the Holy Spirit, we would see that there are five things that the Holy Spirit does in the salvation process. We don't have the time to look at all five of those things, so we're just going to look at the first two. The first two things that the Holy Spirit does to bring somebody out of darkness into light, to bring somebody crossing over from death to life, to take that person who's the least likely person in the world, to come to saving faith in Christ. How does that happen? It is always, ladies and gentlemen, always the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's read about it. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5, Jesus is speaking and He says, Now I'm going to Him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you're filled with grief. That is because He explained that He was about to leave. Verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going to go away. Unless I go away, the counselor, or parentheses, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8, the key verse. When he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. When he comes... He will convict the world. And so the the two things that the Holy Spirit does in our salvation process, again, I said there's five, but we're going to look at two. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does in our salvation process is the work of conviction. It's right there in verse 8. Conviction is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit does to cause us to recognize our sin and to prompt us to turn away from it. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit to show us the sin in our lives and to convince us or give us the desire to turn away from that sin. That's conviction. Max Sanders wrote a book and he's a pastor and he's talking about the things that he was involved in before he came to Saving Faith. And he came to Saving Faith as a college student and he was involved in a lot of stuff and uh, almost to the point of addiction. And, And he said that when he came to Saving Faith in Christ, He experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he described that conviction this way. It was a great uh, uh, definition. He said, it's the gut-wrenching realization that I was trapped in a lifestyle that I did not want, but I didn't have the strength to pull myself out of. That's conviction. The gut-wrenching realization. I'm trapped in a lifestyle of sin that I do not want, but I do not have the ability to get myself out of it. 
See, the first step in salvation is realization that you are a sinner and you have a desire to do something about it. But you also have the recognition you can't pull yourself out of that sin. That's what we mean by conviction. So please understand this. Listen to me. This is so important. When you are talking to someone, regardless of who it is, when you're talking to someone, whether it's a son or a daughter or it's a parent or a grandparent or it's a neighbor or it's a friend, whoever it may be, when you're talking to someone, having a spiritual conversation, discussing salvation, if there is no conviction of sin in their life, if they don't sense a need for Christ, there's no conviction of sin, they're not ready for salvation. And you can't talk them into it. I'll say this, if you could talk them into it, the devil can talk them out of it. This is so important that you understand this, that this is not just a spiritual conversation, but rather this is a spiritual battle. You're talking about the souls of men and women. So when you're trying to have a spiritual conversation, it's not just a spiritual conversation. It is indeed a spiritual battle. Uh, let me show you this, a verse we've seen before, but I want to show you again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Real quickly, find that in your Bible, please. <clears throat> Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, the word veiled means hidden, even if our gospel, the, the, the good news we're preaching, even if it is he, hidden or veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It is veiled, they don't see, they can't see, they don't understand their sin, they don't, they don't understand why they need a Savior. It's all hidden from them. Why is it hidden from them? He goes on to explain why. The God of this age, little g God, the God of this age, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Paul would say, do you understand this is not just a spiritual conversation, this is a spiritual battle. When you're talking to someone, the God of this age has blinded their minds. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, this is a conversation you can't win. You can't talk them out of it. You can't talk them into it. You can't convince them. You do not have that ability to do it. As long as somebody is blinded by Satan, they will not feel conviction of sin. And that's why our clever arguments will never win somebody to Christ. Our powers of persuasion are powerless to convince somebody that they need Jesus. Listen to me. Only the Holy Spirit of God can bring someone to Christ. And conviction of sin is that first step. Now, we do have the responsibility to share with them. I'm going to talk about that next week. We do have the responsibility to tell them the gospel, to share with them the good news. Absolutely. But take this off your shoulders. You do not have the responsibility to save them. So the second role of the Holy Spirit, in the first role is conviction. The second role in, in the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation process is regeneration. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Right past the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy, you'll find the book of Titus. That brief little book of only three chapters. We're going to look at chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 4. Well, let's start in verse 3. At one time, we too, would you say out loud those two words? We too. 
At one time, we too, that's us, all of us. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, notice that next word, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Paul was talking about, there was a time before you came to faith in Christ, we too lived that life. We were blinded. We were enslaved. We were caught up in sin we couldn't get ourselves out of. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Verse 4. Get your pen or pencil ready. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Write that down. Underline it. He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. And here it is the second time. He saved us, if you want to underline that. How did He save us? Watch this. He saved us through the washing of... What's that next word? The washing of what, church? Rebirth and renewal. How were we reborn and renewed? He says it's by the Holy Spirit. He saved us. Two times it's mentioned there. And the Bible says, and the way that He brought about this salvation is by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, regeneration, that word is a big word, but it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that causes us to be born again. And spiritually, at that moment, when we place our faith in Christ, He causes us, enables us to be born again. That's why one day when Jesus was having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. And he went on to explain to him that you're not born of flesh, but you're born of the Spirit. John chapter 3, if you want to take time to read it later on. He said, you're not born of the flesh. Born of the flesh is the physical birth. We've all experienced the physical birth, born of the flesh. He said, but you also have to be born of the Spirit. Born again. And that's the work of regeneration. That's the, only the Spirit of God can bring about this change in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in conviction and in regeneration. Those two things. Look up here a moment. The work of the Spirit of God in conviction and in regeneration is a work that you and I cannot do. That's why when you get into a spiritual conversation, if you are trying to convince them to come to faith in Christ, that's a conversation you cannot win. Because it is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and to bring about regeneration. Again, you've got a role to play in that. I'll say it again. I'm going to talk about that next week. You've got a role to play in that. But take this off your shoulders. The role of the Holy Spirit is to be the, the agent through which we are convicted of our sins and we are born again. Now, this was so important. That in the days of Jesus, as he was after his death, burial, and resurrection, after he talked to his disciples and was about to leave, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Shorter's translation, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, he said to his disciples, Don't you leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't you dare leave and go out on this mission I've given you until you receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 5. Then he says in chapter 1 verse 8, that verse that we're very familiar with, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Yes, you've got a role to play. Go be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But don't you dare think that you have the power to convince people. You need the Spirit of God in order to make that happen. 
as much as you want to, as much as you desire it, as much as you have prayed for it, as much as you have cried over it, you can't choose Jesus for anyone. Every person has to decide for themselves what they will do with the gospel that they hear. You cannot choose Jesus for them. Now, I can show you a wonderful illustration of this. It's just fascinating to me that sometimes when people hear the gospel, it's fascinating the responses. So I want to show you this in Scripture. I want you to go to Acts, uh, the book of Acts. I want you to find Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Acts chapter 17. While, while you're turning there, can I ask you a question or two? Uh, the Apostle Paul, would you say he was probably a pretty good preacher? Would you, would you vote him as, as a pretty good preacher? Would you say the Apostle Paul was probably a pretty good soul winner? Greatest missionary they ever lived. One day, Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul found himself in Athens, in Greece. And he happened to be there for a brief time by himself. And he was just walking through the town. He was just touring the town. He was just looking at the sights. And as he walked through the town... And one day, I'm, I'm going to teach and preach this whole chapter because it's an incredible chapter. But he was just walking through town looking at the sights and he noticed all kinds of idols everywhere. The Greeks were, were people who really believed that you need to make sure you worship all the gods. And so they had an idol for every god you can imagine. And in fact, they even had a statue to the unknown god just in case they missed one. It was an idol to the unknown god. So Paul's walking through this, and again, Paul has a soul winner's heart. He's a preacher and a pastor and a missionary and an evangelist. Paul's walking through Athens, and, and, and Paul's a pretty good preacher. Paul's a pretty good soul winner. And so when he gets to seeing all of this, he becomes so convicted, he becomes so burdened, that this is what happens. Acts chapter 17, verse, um, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. To see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue. He had conversations. That it, that's what that means. He reasoned in the synagogue. He went to the synagogue. He started having conversations with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. As well as in the marketplace day by day. With those who happened to be there. So, so here he is. He's in the synagogue. And then he's out in the streets. And the town, town just walking through the town. You know, the meeting places in the town. And he's, he's having conversations. Every day he's having conversations. Gospel conversations with people. And he's telling them about Jesus. Now, for sake of time, skip down to verse 32. So Paul tells them about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it says in verse 32, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council, and a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Look at, the, look at this script, uh, scripture on the screen. The Apostle Paul in Athens, he preaches the gospel. Everybody hears the same message. Everybody hears the same message, but not everybody responded the same way. Fascinating. Look at this. Some of them, some of them said yes, because it says in the text, but some men joined him and believed. So as they heard the good news, as they heard the gospel, as they heard about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, some of them said yes. And that is the response we're always hoping for and praying for, right? One of the most exciting things you will ever experience is when you tell somebody about Jesus and they say yes. I don't know of another feeling quite like that. 
when they say yes. You, you shared the gospel with a friend and they accepted Christ as Savior. The excitement level is up here. You, you talk to, your, uh, to uh, somebody in your family and you've prayed for them for a long time and they, they said yes. And there's nothing like it when you share the gospel and somebody says yes. And then there was another response though. Some of them said, I need to think about it. They, they said in the text, we'll hear you again about this later. I need to think about it. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk again. And that's still somewhat encouraging. They haven't shut you down. They haven't turned away. And so for some of you, that friend you shared with, they listened attentively. They weren't ready to receive Christ, but they listened. And they, they said, well, let's talk again. That's what Paul had to hear. Or maybe you got to talk to a, an old college roommate. Maybe you got to talk to your neighbor. Maybe you got to talk to a co-worker. And they seemed interested in your faith. They're not ready to accept it, but they seemed interested. That's what happened here. Some of the people who heard Paul, some of the people said, I need to think about it. We'll hear you again about this later. And then there was a third response. The third response was, some of them said no. The text said that some of them mocked. Some of them said no. Really hard to understand, isn't it? Hard to understand, but some people will respond negatively to the message of God's grace and forgiveness. It's hard for us to imagine how anybody could hear that Jesus loves you so much that He died on a cross for your sins and everything you've ever done, He'll forgive you of. He'll, you can have a relationship with God, the Creator of this world. You can one day experience eternity in heaven with Him. It's hard to imagine that somebody would say, No, I don't want that. But that happens, doesn't it? And sometimes it's painful when it happens. Maybe you tried to share the gospel with a waitress. And she turned abruptly and walked away. She wasn't interested in it. And it really kind of hurt. Or worse yet, you finally worked up the courage to talk to your dad or your mom. And they made it very clear they didn't want to talk anymore about the subject. And it hurts. Well, you tried to have a conversation, a gospel conversation with a neighbor or with a friend. You finally worked up the courage to bring up Jesus. In your 16,000 words that day, you finally worked up the courage to say Jesus. And they shut you down real quick. Hard, and it hurts when they say no. Especially, especially if it's a loved one. So how do we handle a hard no? I'm going to give you three ways that we handle a hard no. This is not a, an outline. It's just three things that you need to remember. Three things you can put into practice. Because some of you, you've gotten that hard no from your daughter. Or from your son. Or from your parents or your grandparents or whoever. You're, you've tried to share. you tried to have the conversation. One of your 27 conversations, you tried to work Jesus into that conversation that day, and you got a hard no, and they basically said, I don't want to have this conversation again. So what do you do? After the first service, I had a lady come down front. She said, this, this sermon was for me. She told me about her brother. What do you do when you get that hard no? Give you three things. Number one, remember, it's not your job to save them. I know I've said that before, but for some of you, it takes a while for that to sink in. 
because you've tried for so long to save them. And that is not your job. So don't, don't argue with it. Write this down. Don't argue with them. Don't debate them. And don't chastise them. Don't argue with them. Don't debate them. Don't chastise them. Say something like this. If you get a hard no, say something like this. Thank you for listening to me. And if you ever find yourself in a place of brokenness, please remember our conversation that God has provided a way out of your sin through Jesus Christ, His Son. Thank you for listening to me. If you ever get to the point where you want to talk about it again, I'm here to talk to you. Just remember, it's not your job to convince them and to convict them and to save them. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Two, pray for the Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin and to convince them of their need of, of a Savior. Just what I just alluded to. Pray for them. And you've already been praying for them, but, but pray for them specifically that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction of sin in their heart and would convince them that there is no way they can get out of that sin, that there is no way on their own they can ever free themselves from the life they've, they've built. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin and would convince them that they need a Savior. You pray for them and pray for them and pray for them and pray for them. And in the last message of this series, that's what we're going to be talking about. That ongoing prayer in those situations for people that you love so dearly. Number three, this is so important. Put a star before, beside number three before you even write it down. So the first one is make sure that you remember that you're, uh, you're not, it's not your job to save them. second one was pray for the Holy Spirit to work in their life. Here's the third one. Keep living out your faith. Keep living out your faith. In other words, let them see what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let them see what it means. Because they, they may have all kinds of strange ideas what it means to be a, a Jesus follower. They may think, man, if I do this, my life's going to get crazy. Uh, they may think, I'm not ready to go be a missionary in Africa. And if I get saved, that's what's going to happen to me. So you just live out your faith every day. And in fact, in one of the messages in this series, the title of the message is, Make Them Curious. Just make them curious. And the way you make them curious is, is to live out your faith. They may not believe in Jesus. They need to see that you believe in Jesus. They may not be living for Jesus. They need to see you living for Jesus. They may not be ready to say yes to Him, but they need to know that you said yes to Him and you don't regret it. Just live out your faith. And if you live out your faith in a genuine way on a daily basis, that will be an argument they cannot refute. I want to close by asking you to look at one final verse that summarizes, really summarizes how to handle a hard no. If I could put everything into one, one verse, it would be this one. Look at it on the screen. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Outsiders would be those who are outside the faith. For some of you, you can put a name there, can't you? 
you can personalize that verse. There is a name of somebody that is an outsider that you know very well and you love them very much. So it says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't miss those opportunities to share your faith. Don't, don't close your mouth because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So you don't, No, you've got a role to play in this. The Holy Spirit will use you, and we'll talk about that next week. But make the most of every opportunity. Then it says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. I could say anything to you. If you've got somebody in your family and they always give you a hard no, let your conversation be always full of grace. Always full of grace. You're not going to nag them into heaven. You're not going to coerce them to be a follower of Jesus. You are not even going to be able to convince them that they need to be saved. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. But here is your role. As you have those conversations, and I hope that you have them, as you have those conversations, let your conversation be always full of grace. Do you know why your conversation needs to be full of grace? Listen to me. You are God's representative to that lost individual. And God is a God of grace. Represent Him well as you talk to that family member. Represent this God of grace well as you talk to that co-worker. You might be frustrated. You might be angry. You might be fearful. You, you, you might be at wit's end trying to decide how can I get him or her to make this decision. And in the midst of the frustration, let your conversation be always full of grace because you are there representing the God of grace. Pray about that. We have this time of closing. I hope those watching online will continue to watch for just a few moments because I, I want to give you a chance to pray right now. You can pray right where you are or you're free to come to this altar to pray if you'd like. But I want to give you a chance to pray for that someone that you know that is outside the faith. And your heart is heavy and you have carried a burden for them for a long time. I'm going to ask you to pray three things this morning right where you are. First of all, I want you to acknowledge to the Lord that you can't save anybody. And ask Him to help you take that burden off your shoulders. Someone said to me after the service, the first service, I finally realized after listening today that I can't fix him. I can't fix him. Acknowledge in prayer to the Lord, you can't save anybody and just let him take that burden off your shoulders. Second, 
Secondly, as you pray for that dear loved one or that friend or co-worker, pray for the Holy Spirit to do His work of convicting them of their sin. And thirdly, as you pray for that person, pray that as you live out your faith, they'll notice the difference that Jesus makes. They'll see, they'll notice. They may never talk about it, but they'll notice. Pray that they notice the difference that Jesus makes. Father, we come to your throne of grace. On behalf of those that we know that don't know you. And our heart is heavy, especially I pray for these dear parents or grandparents. Their heart is heavy. Thank you for reminding us that regardless of who they are or what they've done, that God can save anybody. So we continue to pray, we continue to believe, we continue to ask for the work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin and to bring about regeneration that they would one day be born again. And we pray that you'd help us. Lord, we're never going to live a perfect life, but help us to live out our faith in a a genuine way. Help us to show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I pray that they'll notice the difference that Jesus has made. And I pray that in our conversations this week, our words would always be words of grace. Full of grace. We represent the God of grace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.